Thanks for that uh, great song. As we have been seeing in our study of the book of Ruth, <clears throat> uh, loving kindness is the translation given most frequently to that Hebrew word hesed, and uh, we've been trying to reflect on that. Uh, so today we come to the concluding message for our study in this beautiful little book, uh, remind ourselves of where we have been. <clears throat> We've seen that the story of Ruth is a story of an outsider, a Moabite, who becomes an insider. She is a woman of Hesed, uh, who, who demonstrates extraordinary loyalty and kindness to her mother-in-law, Naomi. It's the story of Naomi, who went away full and has come back empty and wonders what has happened to God's hesed. And it's the story of Boaz, the guardian redeemer, who steps up to the plate to rescue both Ruth and Naomi. <clears throat> so that's the basic shape of it. Last week, we looked at the opening of chapter 4, where Boaz becomes the main player in the story and uh, goes to the gate of Bethlehem and <clears throat> gets the elders together and uh, gets the other guardian redeemer who is ahead of him in the line of relationships and uh, <clears throat> challenges him to step up and become the redeemer of uh, Naomi and Ruth, and he chooses not to do so. So, <clears throat> in light of that, the, the door is opened for Boaz to take that position and uh, to redeem the land that belongs to Naomi and her deceased husband, Elimelech, and, uh, and also to marry Ruth and raise up a, an heir for Elimelech. So, we come now to the conclusion, <clears throat> which I think fits under this heading, God repays. So follow as we pick up the story. We're still at the gates of the city. Then the elders and all the people at the gate said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the family of Israel. May you have standing in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem. Through the offspring the Lord gives you by this young woman, may your family be like that of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah." So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. When he made love to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. The women said to Naomi, Praise be to the Lord, who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law 
who loves you and who is better than seven sons, has given him birth. Then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. The women living there said, Naomi has a son, and they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. This then is the family line of Perez. Perez was the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Aminadab. Aminadab, the father of Nashon. Nashon, the father of Salmon. Salmon, the father of Boaz. Boaz, the father of Obed. Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of David. All right. Well, this, uh, this section can almost seem anticlimactic. You know, once the guy gets the girl, you say, well, they live happily ever after. But, <clears throat> but this is actually very important to the story and very important to the understanding of the Old Testament. So let's look at it and let's consider first <clears throat> this interesting blessing that is pronounced. It's really a double blessing. And it's pronounced by the people of the town who uh, have witnessed this, this transaction, if you will, where Boaz becomes the guardian redeemer and not only buys the field that belongs to Elimelech, but also uh, gets, gets the girl. So here's the blessing of the people. Now, We need to understand that in the Old Testament, blessings are prayers of power. It's not, we we tend in our experience to hear words of blessing as kind of just good wishes, right? So you sneeze in public and occasionally somebody will say, what? Bless you, or God bless you, which is a a way of saying, it's, it's sort of a polite form of, uh, <clears throat> oh, you know, I, I wish good health for you and I hope you don't get sick or something like that. But, but none of us <clears throat> hear that and say, oh, I guess I'm good for not getting COVID for the next year, you know, uh, because we don't see them as words of power. But in the Bible, these are words of power. When Aaron blesses the tribes and says, the Lord bless you and keep you. Uh, the Lord turn his face toward you, be gracious to you, that's understood to to convey the power of God, to to be good to his people, to care for them, to show them favor. And and that's the way it is here with this this double blessing that we're going to consider. This is seen to be words of power invoking God's goodness upon Boaz and his family, Boaz and Ruth, and especially then in light of how this story plays out. See, this story is told years later, maybe, maybe hundreds of years later in this form. And the Israelites are looking back and they're hearing those words at the gates, the words of the people. And they're saying those words are not only powerful words of blessing, but, they, but they're prophetic in a real sense. So we need to hear them the way 
the Israelites would have heard it. So, let's split it apart. They say, may Ruth, this woman that you are marrying, may she be like Rachel and Leah, which means may she be a nation builder. Because, because they say Rachel and Leah are the ones who built up the family of Israel. So here's Jacob's family. Jacob is Israel, right? So that's what we're talking about here. <clears throat> Jacob has two wives, Leah and Rachel. They're sisters. That's not going to be good from the start, right? Uh, and, and it's not. But uh, Jacob by uh, some strange shenanigans of his uncle Laban, ends up marrying two sisters. And uh, these sisters throughout their lives are in competition. And one of the ways they compete, they're competing for the love of Jacob. And one of the ways they compete is by having sons. Remember, sons are the valued entity in the ancient world. And uh, <clears throat> Leah, who is less loved than Rachel in the ironic providence of God, she's the one who can have babies, sons. <clears throat> she has six sons. Meanwhile, Rachel struggles with barrenness, and eventually she has two sons, and then Leah begins, realizes that she's not getting pregnant anymore. But the competition continues because Leah gives her maidservant, Zilpah, to Jacob as a, what should we say, a surrogate wife. And Zilpah has two more sons. So at that point, you know, it's eight to two, <clears throat> if you're keeping score, which they are. And so now Rachel does the same thing. She, she gives her servant, Bilhah, to Jacob as well, and they have two more sons there. So it's eight to four. Now, when, when these people at the gate look back, <clears throat> they say, may this woman, Ruth, this outsider who you're marrying, we pray, we pronounce this blessing. May she be to you what Leah and Rachel were as the builders of Israel. Now you notice only Leah and Rachel get credit here because the servants belong to them. And, and so the two are mentioned when it, it's really four, but, but the two are mentioned. These are the mothers of Israel, not just of the 12 boys, right, who become the, the ancestors of the 12 clans or the 12 families. But they come to represent the whole nation, so the whole nation is rooted in these two women. Now think about this. Think about what they're saying in their blessing. It's quite remarkable. 
May this woman Ruth, this Moabite, this foreigner, this outsider. We've seen before the the Moabites are the, they're the distant cousins from the other side of the tracks that nobody wants to associate with. But here's here's the people saying, may Ruth the Moabite, coming into your family, may she, like Rachel and Leah, build up the nation. Well, we, we might say, you know, if, if we're new to this story, most of us aren't new to it, but if we're new to it, we say, well, what's that about? That's, that's some kind of overstatement, right? But if you're an Israelite listening to this story being told once a year like they did, then you know that this blessing actually works out. Because you know how the story ends. The story ends with one name. The name of David. Who turns out to be the great-grandson of Boaz and Ruth. And what's the blessing? May this woman coming into your home, may she build up Israel the way Rachel and Leah did. Well, ask yourself, who built the nation of Israel any more than David? King David. That's where this story is going. If if you say, who are the most important people in the Old Testament? If you ranked them, number one is Moses, sorry, got you there. <laughs> Moses is, is clearly the prophet among prophets. <clears throat> but in second place, if you think about the, the formation and development of the nation, second place is probably King David. Extraordinary influence. <clears throat> Not just from his military prowess, but, but notice from the standpoint of devotion before God. Half the Psalms come from David. So this this blessing becomes prophetic. This is what's going to happen when uh, when Ruth comes into the family. And and think about what is happening here. I mean, to talk this way is to say that the people of Bethlehem recognize and fully accept Ruth as one of them. Isn't that the case? And how long has it been? Has it been four, five months since she came from Moab with Naomi? And she is so deeply accepted that the prayer of blessing is, may she become like Rachel and Leah. It is a remarkable testimony, among other things, to the character of Ruth. Remember, first time Boaz meets her in the field, He says, everybody in our town knows that you are a woman of character. Well, that's half the blessing. The other half of the blessing is this. May Boaz's family that 
that he has as a result of marrying Ruth. May Boaz's family be like the family of Perez. So we've got a little more history here to track out. Uh, Can you see it? All of this is taking place within... Where's my little... Disappeared. All right. Well, you'll have to... You'll have to follow it and pretend I have the dot up there for you to see, right? So up at the top, you see Judah, one of the 12 sons of Israel, the ancestor of what becomes the largest tribe in this group of tribes. And, uh, and they say, may Boaz's family be like the family of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah. Now that's Genesis chapter 38, and it's a seedy story, right? Uh, Judah has incestuous relationships with, or a relationship with his daughter-in-law, Tamar. She becomes pregnant with twins as a result of that, The twins, as you can see there, Zerah and Perez. And then you follow down Perez all the way down to Boaz. So this is Boaz's family they're talking about. May Boaz's family be like the family of of Perez. Well, so let's think about that story a little bit more. Genesis 38. Tamar becomes pregnant with twins. Time comes for the birth of the twins, and one of them, the midwife is there to help in the delivery, one of them sticks his little paw out of the womb, and of course in the Old Testament it's incredibly important who is the firstborn in the family, and when you got twins, you, you want to make sure you know, right? So out comes the little hand, and the midwife ties a thread around it. So that's the firstborn, Right? All of a sudden, whoop, hand disappears. And next thing, a child is born. No thread. The child who is born is Perez. He didn't look like he was going to be firstborn, but in effect, he said, It's my turn. Let's make this happen. Perez means breaking out. And and as often in the Old Testament, these names have significance, right? They point to certain things that were observed about the character of a child. And Perez, from his birth, is, is seen as this energetic person who won't wait. And the history of the family, then, is that in comparison to his brother, Zerah, Perez is the family of energy and productivity and so forth. So here's here's the prayer of blessing, right? May Ruth be like Rachel and Leah, and may Boaz's family continue the, the energy and the strength of their ancestor, Perez. And once again, see, it's not just well-wishing, it's, 
It's a prophetic kind of statement that in light of where this story goes, we're supposed to look back and say, well, yeah, look at who the great-grandson is. Look at the military leader who never lost, <clears throat> never lost a battle. Look at his energy on behalf of the nation. He shepherded the nation. He brought unity among these disorganized, sometimes warring tribes. He brought them together. And, and he prepared to build a temple to God. And he taught people how to worship and all these things. May your family be like the family of Paris. And indeed, as we see here, the line is Perez to Boaz to King David. And then ultimately to Yeshua. Right? That's what we find out when we come to the New Testament. And we find out that this genealogy is part of the genealogy of Jesus. <clears throat> All right, so that's the blessing. Let's think for a couple minutes about the son who is born then. Uh, this child, and uh, a couple of things strike me on this. Uh, this may take a minute to get to, so hang with me here. <clears throat> Buckle your seatbelts or whatever. I think one of the themes that runs through the book of Ruth is what I'd call the theme of God <clears throat> hidden and God revealed. For most of the book of Ruth, God is in the background. We get various hints that he's in the neighborhood. But he doesn't show himself very clearly. And that's, <clears throat> that's why when Naomi comes back, what does she say? Well, I went away full. Lord, the Lord has brought me back empty. He's not caring for me. I don't know what has happened to his merciful, loving kindness. But here I am. I'm broken. I'm empty. Don't have a husband, don't have sons, just a poor widow. <clears throat> God is largely hidden from her. God is, is a report that, that she hears about at a distance, right? She's in Moab, and she hears that the Lord has visited his people in Bethlehem, so she's going to go back. But that's a rumor. It's not something she's experienced. Now, what we know is we, we, as the listeners to the story, begin to sense what Naomi is not in a position to sense herself. Namely, that God's mercy and loving kindness is pursuing her. Though she may not see it at first. She doesn't see it at first. <clears throat> she, she comes back empty, she says, and yet she comes with Ruth. And by the end of this story, the people of the town say, Ruth has been better for you than seven sons. That's in a world where sons are ranked above daughters. And daughters are ranked above daughters-in-law. And seven sons would be the ideal number, huh? Ruth is better for you. But she can't see that at that point. It's Ruth who takes the initiative to go out. 
And as the storyteller so cleverly says, it just happened that she ended up in the field of Boaz. God's hidden, but, but what we're supposed to say to ourselves is, oh yeah, right, that just happened. But God remains hidden. We have to look for him. Say, uh, is he really there? Is he really watching our steps? Is his loving kindness really pursuing us? It's only a few points in this story where we've got very explicit reference that says God acted. And chapter 4 is where we see it. Verse uh, 13, Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. When he made love to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive. See, now we've got explicit statement. God is stepping out of the shadows, so to speak, and he's going to act directly. And notice the way this tends to connect Ruth with earlier associations. Remember Abraham and Sarah, how there was difficulty for Sarah to get pregnant for years and years. And then think about the next generation, Isaac and Rebekah, they, they struggle, too, with that. And, of course, as we've seen with Jacob, Rachel has trouble getting pregnant. And, and Ruth, well, she's got a history of barrenness for, what, maybe 10 years? But the whole time she was in, uh, in Moab. But now God has acted. God has stepped in and directly taken charge, so to speak. Now, I just think this is worth thinking about, friends, because this is the way God normally works. He normally works in the shadows. I think sometimes Christians get the sense that in the Bible... Everything was dramatic, and there were miracles all over the place. I don't think that's the case at all. There were miracles. And sometimes God steps to center stage, but more frequently God remains just off stage. He's in the neighborhood, but nobody quite sees him. We infer his presence. And sometimes you and I can get very discouraged and say, well, I'm not sure where where God is in my life. Can't, can't see what he's doing. Does he really care for me? And, and part of what we need to do at that point is to cultivate spiritual sight and to cultivate thankfulness, learning to look for those places where God seems to be close. And giving him thanks. And I believe the more we give thanks, the more then we are enabled to see. Because this is about, this is about faith. It's the conviction of things that are not seen. Or seen only indirectly. But God has stepped to the, to the front here and a child has been conceived. And it is a son. <clears throat> and remember the purpose of this son. This son... Ruth and Boaz have agreed will not be their son in one sense. It'll be a son 
for Naomi. This is the son raised up to be the heir of Elimelech and Naomi to maintain that line of inheritance in Israel. And so <clears throat> the women were told that, that Ruth has the son and they bring her to Naomi and the, the people say, Naomi has a son. Naomi has a son. The inheritance is going to continue. And the scholars debate whether this was a kind of official adoption or whether it was, but whether it's official or not. I mean, this is quite a move on Ruth's part. Once again, we see hesed here, right? That sacrificial love in which she delivers over her newborn, her firstborn, to her mother-in-law. And Naomi raises the child. And this child, they say, this is the child who is going to be your guardian redeemer. He will care for you in your old age. You know, the, all the at-risk stuff that Naomi was carrying is going to be cared for by this son. And this is God's gift. <clears throat> and then finally... Let's, uh, let's make a few notes on the purpose of this beautiful story. What should we take from this? Well, uh, here's maybe the first thing. It's to recognize that David's rise to the kingship is part of God's sovereign plan. Not only the appearance of David, but the kind of man he was, the man after God's own heart, is, is a result of a process that goes back generations. It goes back to the, the energy of this guy Perez who breaks out. It goes back to the Canaanite prostitute, Rahab, who marries into this family, another outsider, but a woman of great faith, and her DNA gets in this line. And, and then comes Ruth, the Moabite, another outsider, a woman of extraordinary character, which everybody recognizes from the beginning, a woman of chesed, this deeply loyal, sacrificial love that reflects the, the hesed of God himself. She comes into the line and she shapes it, given her character. And so David appears, playing his harp. Huh? <laughs> Little David, play on your harp. Doesn't just play his harp, he writes songs to the praise of God. And he lives with God. Not perfectly, not all his, every period of his life, but, but overall he lives with God and he teaches us how to live with God. And so this story, which actually ends, the last word in the story, not only in English translation, but in, in the Hebrew, the last word that 
the people would have heard as this story got told through the ages. The last word is David. That's where the story is headed. Second thing is that, you know, I had to work in my favorite picture. (laughs) Well, the Lord works as we work. That's that's the message over and over again from Genesis chapter 1 right on through. The Lord works as we work, as image bearers. Here's the little spitting image of his father trying to do what his dad does. You are a spitting image of your father. Right? That's what we're told in the gospel. We're image bearers. And God desires to partner with us in his work. Because, as we said, he's often hidden. And so his character, his hesed, among other things, becomes visible not by his direct working, but by his indirect working through his people. We understand hesed because we look at Ruth. And people are to understand God's love because they look at you and me. See, it? it's going to do more to reveal the love of God to the world that you and I learn how to love one another and to love one another better than it would for God to have a supernatural sky writing across the clouds saying, God is love. Oh, okay. But when you see it in Ruth, when Naomi sees it in Ruth, she begins to think that maybe God is in the neighborhood. Same for you and me. The Lord works as we work. And then, uh, finally... The Lord repays Hesed. This is something that, that us Protestants don't talk about too much. The idea that, that God rewards the way we live. He pays. He repays. This, uh, this story shows the fulfillment of uh, of Boaz's prayer of blessing. You remember the prayer that he prayed when he first met Ruth. He said, well, you know, all the people of my town know about you. That you're a woman of character. We, we know how you've come back from Moab and you've left your family to care for Naomi. Everybody knows that. And then he says this, May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. May you be rewarded. And, and this story says God really does that. He really does reward that kind of character. And we see it in Ruth. Now, it's, <clears throat> you understand it's not, it's not just one for one. 
It's, it's not just that you can point to every life and every situation and see there's, there's the payback. It doesn't work out quite that smoothly. Sometimes people who live lives of extraordinary sacrifice and loving kindness toward others get beat up by life. I understand that. But what this promise, I think, says is that God repays. He often repays in the course of this life. But ultimately, in view of the life to come, he repays 100%. It is always good to pay the Lord because he always pays back. And that's, well, I guess that's a good way to finish our study in Ruth. Huh? The Lord repays. He repaid Naomi, Ruth, Boaz. He'll do the same with us because we know that great David's greater son has come and our future is secure in him. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this extraordinary account of your dealings in the, the life of a few of your people long ago, and yet what impact it had. <clears throat> Help us to see, Lord, that uh, you want to do things in our lives. You want to partner with us and accomplish your purposes. And, and though we may not live to see the results or the full results, we can live with confidence that your loving kindness will pursue us all the days of our lives and that through us, your loving kindness can reach and touch many others. Thank you, Lord, for the study and the time we spent together, and uh, may our lives increasingly be given to your purposes. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.